And hello and welcome to this edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at JakeJakeNY. I'm also on Facebook at Jake Novak, just N-O-V-A-K is how I spell my last name. You should be able to find me there. Um, this is Martin Luther King Day. This is Martin Luther King Week for, for some people who extend the educational week of, of learning about Martin Luther King. And Martin Luther King and the Jewish community, Jewish people, and the state of Israel have an interesting history and one that has been much discussed. I mean, I think ever since I was a, at least a teenager, the theme that I've heard from so many Jewish leaders from all different spectrums, but mostly from more traditional places, uh, whether they be Orthodox rabbis or Orthodox yeshiva teachers, um, has usually been a narrative, if they were of a certain age, they would talk about how there had been a tremendous amount of partnership between Jewish groups and Jewish leaders and black leaders who were trying to get um, more civil rights and more freedoms for black people in the United States. And there would often be a bemoaning of the fact, I think at least starting in the 1980s, probably a little earlier than that, but certainly hearing, starting to hear that more in the 1980s, there was a bemoaning of the fact that the black community, black leaders to be more specific in the United States, specifically in places like the Northeast, had abandoned their Jewish ties, had abandoned the friendships with Jewish people, and it had started to embrace classic, typical anti-Semitic tropes, classic, typical anti-Semitic discussion. Um, And obviously that's Coming to the four, you know, coming back to our, our, a lot of our memories now, as we see this spike in anti-Semitic physical attacks uh, on Jews, uh, almost all of them from African Americans in the New York Northeast area, New Jersey, New York, those kinds of things. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about that later because I think uh, I, I want to get started with something that goes beyond just Martin Luther King and the Jews and blacks and Jews. For the most part, just to just to begin, uh, what I think is to, to set a certain precedent and a certain theme for this program for this half hour, because there is a lot of similar themes, ideas running through a particular theme right now that Martin Luther King Day just sort of kicks off in my mind. It's important to understand if you really study the work of Martin Luther King. I don't think that there have been too many people who have had a similar amount of what they've had to say in such a short amount of time. Remember, we're talking about a person who was still alive 60, 65 years ago. Martin Luther King was killed in 1968. So we're getting up towards the 52nd anniversary of his his killing. But that's still, as far as history goes, you know, pretty recent history. We're talking about post-World War II, an entire professional adult life post-World War II, pretty much, for Martin Luther King. So... That is, to me, a, uh, an important fact because so much of what he's had to say, I, I, I don't know if it's fair to say it's been completely twisted and turned around. I don't think that's, that's right. I think that there's a lot of people who have taken different snippets of what Martin Luther King stood for and tried to do and have focused on that instead of maybe taking a, an overall big picture. I think that people have clearly, un- I mean, if you ask people, most people will be really close to being accurate if you say, well, he was looking for equality. He was looking for the end of bigotry. He was looking for understanding. 
And I think, you know, if you, if you were giving kids a test, even up, up, up all the way through high school, to ask them you know, a question, if you could have one or two words to describe what Martin Luther King's goal was uh, in his life, uh, you would have to give full credit to someone who wrote any of those things I just said. Uh, and that is pretty much what people start to do on Martin Luther King Day and had been doing for many decades. I think they threw in something in the last several years, which I think is really good because, again, it's, it's important to get all the facets of what Martin Luther King was about. And again, later in this program, I want to talk about of that very important facet for us, and, and I think a lot of people should understand it because you don't even have to be Jewish to, under, to, be, to learn something very important about Martin Luther King's connection to the Jews and the state of Israel. But even if you leave that out just for a second, I think that another thing that's been added to the the typical, and I think still fair, discussion of Martin Luther King as someone who was working against bigotry, working for equality for African Americans and black people in the United States, working for more understanding, working for less violence. Um, all those things, I think, have been the, at the forefront of the of memorializing of, of Martin Luther King for the last 52 years. But just in the last several years, there's been, I think, a nice trend of all kinds of organizations from all over uh, the, the American spectrum, whether they're African-American or Jewish, particularly Jewish groups do this, and they've turned the, the Martin Luther King Day into the day of service. Because yeah, a, a big part of what Martin Luther King was also trying to do, and one of the, reason, one of the things that he was getting involved in just before he, he was killed, was also trying to improve the economic situation of a number of people, even over and above racism. Um, he was trying to help a group of garbage workers. This is the last thing basically he was doing before he was killed. Uh, unionized garbage workers in the South, most of them who were black, uh, who were getting uh, paid you know, pennies on the dollar compared to, to other people in municipal work. So that was one of the things he was, he was pushing for. Um, and we can talk about unions and municipal unions. I'm no, not a huge fan of them. Uh, that's, not the, that's not the issue that I want to take up here. But the point being that he was also interested in just the idea of poverty. It wasn't just about, well, a very wealthy or successful in his own field black man or woman can walk into a, a room and still be discriminated against or still not be allowed into a club or something like that, which is really a bad thing. But he was also trying to help improve the, the situation of poverty in the United States at the time, which back in 1968 was much, much worse than it is now. Um, the, the, situa- the, the poorest people in America now have many more things that they didn't have in the past. Um, the problem with that is that we're there, because of that, some of the focus on helping them before we start helping everybody else or people who may not actually be as deserving gets us off on the wrong track. But what a lot of people have turned Martin Luther King Day uh, now into is this day of service idea, which a lot of Jewish groups are doing, including Orthodox Jewish groups. And I think that this is actually, it's it's great that that's something that's another option for people to do other than just sit and talk and remember and things like that. Obviously, there's a tremendous amount of action, in my opinion, that has to be considered more important than just talking about things. You need to do both. You need to do both. It's kind of like... Uh, you know, for, for lack of a better uh, analogy, it's, in some ways it's kind of like dieting and having a more healthy lifestyle. You got to sit down and think about the things that you're doing wrong, the things that you're doing right, and and plan something out and think about how you're going to to do things. But then you need to do it. Then you need to start eating differently. Then you need to start exercising differently. So we can talk about ending bigotry. We can talk about helping people in poverty. But then we got to do something about it. Um, and so, so I think these days of service are nice. I've done. 
about three or four of them in the past. I'm going to do another one today. I'm, I'm recording this on Martin Luther King Day. So I'm going to do another one today, which actually I'm, I'm doing through NCSY. So it's, again, it, it can be done completely within the Jewish community. I, I, though I'm pretty sure the people who are going to get the, the, uh, the benefit of some of the service we're doing today at NCSY isn't going to be just Jews, but Jews, but that, that's fine too. It doesn't really matter. I think it's, it's important to do these days, days of service. Um, and and I'm, I'm a big fan of action for the obvious reason that actions speak louder than words. Um, we really live in a society today where I, I think social media has really boosted the prominence of words over action even more than it already was. I think media in general, whether it was just you know, starting, back, starting back with newspapers and then going to radio and television, even before internet, boosted the value of words well beyond their, their value well beyond their, their fair value. Listen, words are important, especially words that we speak to each other, husband and wife, uh, father to a child, mother to a child, child to a parent. I am not trying to say that words aren't important. They are. We have to be careful with the way we speak. Uh, it's a huge challenge for me because I, I go into situations um, never looking to be insulting or nasty to people uh, but sometimes, and I think this probably happens to a lot of folks who like to talk about issues and like to talk about um, politics and like to talk about religion, very often people will get the impression that we're being nasty or challenging, uh, whereas I'm really just trying to engage people. Um, but that's on me too. I mean, it's not just something that I can say, well, these folks didn't understand me or they didn't understand the subject matter. They're not educated enough and they just misunderstood and it's their fault. That, I, I have to work on that as well. So I'm not saying words aren't important. But we're living now in a world where words are way too important, where someone can post something on Facebook or on Twitter, and that is considered virtue or also a sin. And in some ways it can be, but in general, it's, it really is nothing compared to what people do. What are you doing? You know, we, we, this comes up so often for me in the environmentalism issue. Uh, those of you who listen to Novak now, Novak now on the Nachum Siegel Network probably can guess that I'm not a global warming alarmist. I'm not a denier either. Look, the, 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 the temperatures are changing. Some of it may have to do with human activity, although I don't think that that has been definitively proven in a way that we can say, let's start laying off millions of people in certain industries so that we can stop, we can change the, the temperature by half a degree or something. I, I'm, not, I'm not in that, so I'm not an alarmist. But... I also uh, get into these situations where some of the people who are very accusatory against folks like me and get crazy about it and post stuff on Facebook about how the world is ending and things like that, and then I notice they live a much less environmentally friendly life than I do. I use the, the old manual lawnmower. I mean, those of you might remember your grandfather using one of those. I use an old push lawnmower, no electricity, no gas. I, uh, you know, <laughs> we recycle like crazy. I walk to, to my train. I don't drive to work. Uh, I try to walk and, and be as environmentally friendly. And it isn't because of the environment so much as I think it's just healthier. And yeah, I, 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 but, then, but the, the environmental part of it is a bonus in my mind. But I've noticed that about 99% of the people who like to attack people like me who say, yes, there is definitely some climate stuff that we need to be prepare, prepared for, we need to look at. But Specific pollution, real pollution, dumping in our oceans and dumping in our parks and dumping in our, in our government land is more important right now. That these are the things that I say. And I also say that if we don't know for sure the exact effects of what people's jobs are, 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 are contributing to certain environmental issues, then we don't go off just destroying their industry. 
And we don't do it overnight either. I think we can agree that coal is dirty and coal has certain dangers and we want to replace coal with natural gas. And after that, maybe we want to replace natural gas with the safer nuclear power that is much safer than it was when I was a kid and things like that. But we don't do that overnight. We don't just say, hey, we're, we're going to end your industry. We don't do like what Hillary Clinton did in 2016 and said, yeah, I'm getting rid of all the coal jobs. We don't do that. We don't do that to people. We try to phase it out. We try to make sure that there's a certain change. If you're going to give a coal company an opportunity to get involved in natural gas, to give the coal workers an opportunity to get involved in, in natural gas, which is cleaner or nuclear or whatever else you want to do before we start pretending that you know, we're just going to end everybody's live, livelihood. But to me, it's actions that speak louder than words. And I wrote a, a column a few months ago that did extremely well about how people like Greta Thunberg, Thunberg, however you pronounce her last name, are dangerous in, in many ways because they talk about, they, they, they elevate words over actions. Just talking about it and saying we're angry at this country or that country is, is not really going to, to accomplish anything. And we really need to do stuff. So actions speak louder than words. And of course, that's a certain, a very strong Jewish halachic ideal as well. That your actions are much more important than your words. And I think that that was something that Martin Luther King stood for. And I'm glad that this day of service has kind of become part of what he was about. But two things that he was not about that I think so much of what the Identity politics movement in this country is, whether it's for African Americans or other groups, whether it's for other minorities. So much of what that identity politics movement is about is cashing in on the politics of resentment and the politics of jealousy. You know, if you have to, to rank them, jealousy is, is not the greatest emotion, it's not the greatest thing to feel, it's not the greatest thing to promote. But there are some thing, good things that can come out of jealousy. If you're, re, if you're a person of action, and you, want to, and you really do want to have the things that other people have, there's going to be a group of people who have that emotion who are going to translate into I, that, that feeling into, yeah, no, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to work harder so, or do something smarter so that I can also have the nice house, the nice car, live in the nice neighborhood, all that kind of thing. Uh, or, you know, again, getting back to fitness. Someone who really is in great shape, I, I might get really jealous of them, and a lot of people may not do anything about it, but some of those jealous people will say, I'm going to eat better and start working out. I'm really going to do it. And people do it. I know that you know, we're obsessed in our society about telling the stories about the people who have the New Year's resolution and only work out for a couple of weeks and then they give it up. But there are people every year who actually follow through. I'm one of those people. When I was 25 years old, 1995, going into 1996, I made that resolution that I was going to start exercising every day. Here it is 24 years later, and I'm still doing it. So... It's, there are people like me out there, there are people out there like that, that, that do it, and we should really focus a little bit more on them and a little bit less on the folks who quit. We're making jokes about them. But, so that's jealousy, sometimes. Resentment, though, is much worse, because resentment doesn't, necessarily, doesn't really lead to anything good. If you resent the person who has succeeded, if you resent the person who's doing well, it just leads to bad feelings and anger. And I feel like there's a lot of resentment that's peddled in the form of supposed discussions about equality and betterment income inequality that whole income inequality movement the the anger about income inequality in the united states and in other countries is mostly about resentment in my mind that's getting back to what i was talking about before we should be as a as a nation 
whether we're talking about the United States, Israel, Jews, Christians, Muslims, we should be worried about those people who are really the poorest in society and helping them get to a level where they have a dignified, decent life where their basic needs can be met because they can't meet them themselves. That's what always should be the focus of charity, should be the focus of what we're talking about when we're talking about economic aid or charity, that kind of thing. But if you're going to focus on the fact that somebody has a middle-class life or a lower-middle-class life, and there's so many people like that in America, but then there's those billionaires who have so much more, what exactly is the issue there? Are we angry that you still get three meals a day and you have a roof over your head and you have a job and you have, you know, maybe you have your health, but there are some people who have billions of dollars? What should we do exactly about that? You know, if you want to talk about income inequality, the great, there's a tremendous in- income inequality between me and, let's say, Donald Trump. Let's say Donald Trump has $3 million. And I, $3 billion, of course. Uh, and let's say I have whatever I have. Okay, that's income inequality. You could say that. But the real income inequality is between somebody like, let's say, Donald Trump and, and Mike Bloomberg, who has $57 billion. If we're going to worry about evening things out, shouldn't I start with the $54 billion gap between Donald Trump and, Michael, and, and Mike Bloomberg, as opposed to the $3 billion gap between Donald Trump and Jake Novak? All of this is insane. And it's about resentment, and it's about anger, a little bit jealousy, but it's much more about resentment. Whereas we should be working on helping poor people, really poor people. Some of these programs that these politicians are pushing, Medicare for all, or excusing all student debt, I- I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We know, no, let's not, like, we can't focus on middle class and lower middle class people before we start saying, hey, there are people out on the street right now, whether it's because of mental illness or whatever reason it is, and it's growing in a number of cities. That has to be our top priority. And, the ans- and we need to start thinking about real answers to the- their problems. It isn't about building more housing. Someone who is deliberately living out on the street and is a drug addict, building another uh, hundred housing projects for that person isn't going to work. Then other things we need to start thinking about, we really need to focus our efforts on that and not about talking about some kid whose parents make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year who's graduating with a hundred grand in student loan debt. That should not be a priority for us. It's a terrible situation and we need to figure out why that's happening and we need to talk about the universities who are charging ridiculous amounts of tuition costs because they know they can get away with it because of the student loan program. Yeah, we can do all of that. But my first priority is for the person in the street. My first priority is for the children who are hungry in this country. You know, There are so many food programs in this country where an able-bodied, able-minded adult can get to, but children get left out of that because they're children, and they don't know how to navigate that kind of thing. That has to be our priority, and I think that's something that Martin Luther King understood as well. Yes, he wanted the wealthy African-Americans and the the African-Americans who were living a decent life to stop being discriminated against, to to have, have the choice of where they wanted to live, even if... There were different neighborhoods with blacks and whites. He wanted all of that. But, but his priority and the thing he was doing up until the day he died was focusing on the, on the poverty aspect that came along with not only racism, but just other things like that, that, were con- that were connected to it. He had a good sense of priorities. And most importantly, Martin Luther King did not po- peddle in the politics of resentment. It wasn't about, hey, these white people have something that we want. We're not getting it. And we should either do violence, because he understood that resentment leads to violence very, very quickly. Ultimately, someone who really resents another person may or may not 
decide to do violence, commit violence against that person. But when you've reached that level of resentment, that pretty much is what you were thinking about doing. And if you don't do it, it's probably because you just don't have the guts to do it. You have the fears, and, and thank goodness for that. We don't want everyone who has resentful in this country to become violent. But you're basically in that category. You're, you're in the potential violence category very, very quickly once you get into the resentment area. And Martin Luther King never focused on that. He, again, he focused on action. He focused on those who really needed the most help. And it wasn't about resentment. And I do believe that, again, a lot of the identity politics movement in this country, whether it's the African-American community leaders out there, whether it's feminist leaders, whether it's leaders in the, in the American Muslim movement, whatever, and, 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 and there are some Jewish leaders as well. I think almost every minority leader right now has, at some point or another, flirted a little bit with the politics of resentment. Much more than Martin Luther King did. And again, not all. There are, there are quite a few who don't do that, and that's great. But there's a lot of resentment out there, as opposed to, let's try to work this out. Let's focus on action, nonviolent action, things that we can do to help one another. And not be focused on, well, this person has something, and we need to really, really be angry at that person. You know, getting back to Greta Thunberg, what, what's the number one emotion, a number one message, a number one... Th- feeling that you get from her and what she's talking about. It's anger. It's resentment. She's angry at the governments and at the adults, apparently. Again, and by the way, this all has to be an assumption because we know now that, for example, her father's been running all of her social media accounts and probably doing all the posts. We learned that uh, thanks to a, a technical glitch that revealed that a couple of weeks ago. But let's just say she is... Speaking her own mind, it, it, anger. I mean, the, the, her face in anger is, is is the picture that even the the supposedly friendly news media to her always publishes. It's anger. It's resentment. It's forget about fixing things. Let's make sure we punish X, Y, and Z. And that was not what Martin Luther King really ever did. And that was really that's just an important thing. And I know that's been said so many times before. I'm not by at any way. I'm not one of the first hundred or thousand people to say that. But it's, it's been out there. So where does this fit in with the discussion of Martin Luther King and the Jews, the discussion of Martin Luther King and Israel? Earlier, as I said here earlier on Novak Now, I grew up as a teenager hearing so many Jewish leaders, most of them Orthodox, but also from other parts of, of the Jewish community, bemoaning the fact that Martin Luther King was a friend of the Jews, Martin Luther King was a friend of Israel, and now his successors in the civil rights movement in the United States from the African-American side are, are much more likely to be anti-Semitic, much more likely to be anti-Israel, and the, the, the black community has abandoned us as Jews. And... I get that, and I think it is disappointing. Uh, There's a lot that can be discussed there. But I think it's important before we continue to focus on that and before we talk more about African-American violence against Jews that's that's been spiking, and and, and I've talked about that on on other editions here of Novak. Now, I want to talk about something that I think everyone has left out when it comes to that connection that Martin Luther King had with Jews in Israel. Uh, and by the way, one of the other parts of the discussion got a real unfortunate shot in the arm several years ago when the Martin Luther King movie came out and they portrayed the Selma march, that famous march in Selma, where Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel was at the front row, marching in the front row, holding a Torah, by the way, holding a Sefer Torah with Talas and the Yamaka on. And in the movie, 
they certainly don't have an Abraham Joshua Heschel character. They had a Jewish character who kind of looked like him, who they put like well behind him, and there was a lot of discussion about how they were erasing the Jewish connection, that Hollywood didn't want that, or the writer of the movie, the director of the movie. And that, you know, that's just another example of how there's just been, now they're just trying to, some people are just interested in erasing that history, and it's so sad. But more important than all of that, I think, is discussing why Martin Luther King Jr. Had a, had a connection to the Jews in the first place. And it wasn't just because Jews in the 1930s and earlier than that had helped, for example, start the NAACP. And it wasn't just because Jews had been involved in the civil rights movement in general and had been helpful to uh, the cause. Uh, you know, the, the, the three freedom riders who were killed in 1964 in Mississippi, two of them were Jews. Schwerner, Cheney, and Goodman. Schwerner and Goodman were Jews, and, Goodman, and Cheney was the, was the African-American. Um, so what, but it wasn't just that. I think, and I, I don't think this is much of a guess because you can read this in his own writings, Martin Luther King admired the Jews because of that thing I was talking about earlier in the program, because of the action aspect of things. That the Jews had survived all those thousands of years and all those centuries of against bigotry and hatred and anti-Semitism because they had always decided to put a priority on surviving and on making sure that the poor were taken care of. Even in the most anti-Semitic situations, the Jews always had their, you know, their Jewish hospital or their Jewish relief society or, or anything else like that. And so he was so interested in that because not only did he want equality as I, for, for, for African-Americans, he wanted to help the poor African-Americans and set up a, an infrastructure to do that. And he was so impressed with the way that Jews had done that, had always pushed against bigotry and anti-Semitism, but at the same time, they'd never let that be the excuse not to, not to get out there and do something. Midot. Not to get out there and, and make the hospital. Not to out there, go out there and make the, the, the schools. Not to go out there and, and, and create the, the economic vitality. He knew that Jews had never used that as, as the deadening excuse. And that they had survived and traveled and, and, and gone through the world doing all of that. And he was very impressed by that. And he really wanted that for the black community in the United States. And he was so impressed by that. And of course, the ultimate manifestation of Jewish survival and doing things and creating an infrastructure, I think you know where I'm going, was the state of Israel. Which was why he was such an admirer of the state of Israel. Because he knew that Jews were hated and he knew that the, the push to create the state of Israel had brought out even more haters of Jews into the forefront. Again, if you've listened to Novak now re- regularly and you've heard me, you know that there's nothing that Jews do. This, this is a strong opinion that I have that, I've, that I believe is quite backed up by the facts and history. There's nothing that Jews do, quote, do, that creates an anti-Semite. But there are things that Jews do that bring some of the anti-Semites Semites out of the woodwork. Or into a more, maybe if they've actually never been hiding, but people get no, other people notice them a little bit more. And surely the creation of the state of Israel reminded the world or, or informed the rest of the world, if they didn't already know, that there was tremendous anti-Semitism in the Arab and Muslim world. Which, by the way, they've continued to try to palm off as being Europe's fault, but that's uh, another discussion. We could do a, an entire edition of Novak Now just on that. But the fact is that Martin Luther King was really impressed by that. And that was really where the connection was. So when my teachers and friends and, 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 the, and my elders back in my teenage years wanted to focus on the fact that they believed that the black community and black leaders had abandoned the friendship between Jews and blacks, 
in some ways, that's beside the point because it forgets the fact that Martin Luther King, if we're going to talk about him, wasn't just just thankful for Jewish contributions, wasn't just thankful for the Jewish freedom riders and the Jewish co-founders of the NAACP. That wasn't, I don't believe that was the crux of his interest and connection and good feelings for Jewish people. I think it was about the fact that Jews had been people of action, that Jews had pushed on and, and, and created, for example, charities and helpful infrastructures, even through centuries of bigotry. That was what he was so enamored of. And that was why he wanted to have that connection, because he hoped that black people would learn from it and be able to emulate that. And of course, the state of Israel was such a great example of what I was just talking about, of that, of that perseverance and of that creation of something. That's what I like to remember today on Martin Luther King Day and this week. This is Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.